Welcome to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. I'm Gabby. And I'm Sarah. And we are two physical therapy students on our journey to get that DPT debt free. And our vision for you is to get through PT school on your first try without any debt. Join us as we navigate through the insanity of physical therapy school together. Welcome to another episode of Gratitude, everyone. And we are so excited for our guest today and so happy to have Ben Fung on the podcast. So thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Of course. And for the people who are listening and are like, who is Ben Fung? Can you just give a brief background? I know you've probably said this a bajillion times, but what got you into PT (laughs) in the first place? So before, you know, when I was a young warthog, um, shout out to Lion King, uh, I was an engineer. Uh, I was a biomedical engineer at UCSD and um, I'm from San Diego. So I kind of just stuck around the home hub and I didn't like it. Uh, I was good at it, but I didn't, there was too much engineering, not enough people, you know, like it's one thing to hang out with, uh, you know, people. And there's another thing to hang out with like DNA strands and, and cells. So I decided to uh, do something a little bit more human and decided to bartend. Um, but most people said that I couldn't necessarily be a university graduate, um, you know, bachelor's engineer and stay as a surfing bartender for the rest of my life. So eventually I volunteered for a PT clinic. Um, I ended up actually, uh, you know, years before having sustained a comminuted ulnar fracture, uh, had PT uh, and OT. Um, it was insane, just this crazy break of an elbow. Uh, and so I already had exposure to it. And I'm like, you know, sure, I'll, I'll try out volunteering for PT clinic, got an aid position, got promoted, and then was happy there for a while. And then all the, the, the clinicians were like, you have to be a full therapist like us. Oh, all right, I'll be a full therapist like you. And I took anatomy from, you know, a local college because they didn't have it for my undergrad. And uh, I did the whole GRE thing and then boom, got into school. <laughs> so uh, it was one of those uh, part of my pathway um, you know, certainly very passionate for it. Uh, but I think, uh, there's a good segment of us second, third career PTs where, uh, PT kind of fell into our lap. You know, we, we became passionate about it versus started with that, that aim, even as like a pre-PT or kinesiology. So, um, that got me in there. And I mean, even in college, I uh, sustained a crazy, uh, snowboarding accident. Um, you know, ate it on while carving heel, grabbed some moguls, went down way too fast, followed that fantastic parabolic arc down, 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 down hill until I hit my lower back. And uh, I want to say that I lost like a 50% disc height or something of that nature um, per the x-ray. Uh, and we all know how, how that goes. But all, all the NPs and PAs were freaking out. They, they thought I was uh, like a spinal cord injury patient waiting to happen. And I was like, I feel fine. You know, I just couldn't walk for a while because it hurt too bad. Um, and I also had like an eversion ankle sprain with that. But um, long story short is, uh, you know, it became a PT because, uh, much of my life path kind of guided me in that general direction. Um, and I found it to be just a, a fantastic and rewarding profession to join. Uh, and then from there, you know, my career progressed, uh, since into non-clinical realms, but you know, that's probably for later in this episode. <laughs> Yeah. And I appreciate that because um, a lot of students listening are like second or third career students and they feel very alone because not many people are talking about it. Um, And can we just put like a timeline to your story? So, so when did you finish engineering? When did you start PT school and kind of go from there? So timeline is going to date me. Um, Timeline wise, I finished engineering uh, 05, 06, which is gnarly to think about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, I, uh, I, I took kind of a gap area because of the whole bartending and PT uh, a tech, you know, office manager type roles. Uh, finally got into PT school in uh, 2007. I graduated from Zoo Pacific in 2009. Uh, so that's kind of the area. And, you know, and, and to those listening that this is your second, third, fifth career even, um, this is becoming more and more common. And, you know, I'm sure this is something that's talked about uh, on your podcast in multiple episodes, but uh, it, it's no longer just a straight shot that you have to take. I remember in PPS at the, uh, at the Wynn Hotel in uh, Las Vegas, that was probably four or five years ago, uh, there was a 50-plus-year-old uh, third-year DPT student on his fourth career 
you know, and like doing the same trek everybody else is doing. Uh, you know, no, no pun intended for those of you watching the video here. So the bridge of the uh, NCC-1701D Enterprise from Star Trek. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's doing the same thing, having to take the same prereqs, uh, ages from, from school or a GRE, any kind of standardized test. Uh, and taking out loans, you know, and, and with a family and with a mortgage. So um, it, it's no longer, normal is no longer the norm. I think it's something that we're discovering, uh, not just in our profession, not just in healthcare, but just uh, for lack of better terms, the social circumstances or the social contract even um, has really, really changed in this uh, 2020s. Yeah, absolutely. What did you expect your life to look like when you graduated PT school? Um, I remember my wife uh, asking me this, what's your five-year plan? Um, and that was it. It was, uh, I, would, I would work for five years, um, hopefully in a sports med outpatient type setting, and then open my own practice and live happily ever after. <laughs> that was, that's what I expected my life to be. Um, and my life has uh, been anything but that, uh, but, but, but all for all for the best. I wouldn't understand life if I wasn't uh, on the road I am now. And speaking of, so what are you doing now transitioning out of the clinic? And let's start with the origins of when you were in that transition. Uh, what, what were your, like, you know, what were your thoughts when you're like, I don't know if I want to do patient care 40 hours a week and doing what you're doing today? So I'm a weirdo <laughs> and um, I mean, my career path is already kind of strange. There's a small minority of us. I've identified a lot of engineers eventually become a PT um, for one reason or another. Uh, and so that's already a little bit odd and we, we kind of see the world differently. Um, for those of you listening, if you have engineering friends or engineers in your family, we're a little quirky, we're obviously a little nerdy. It's going to, that's not going to be the last time. It's going to be like, that. this can be like eight more times. I'm going to do this on the background for those of you who can't see, because you're listening on the podcast version. There's a green screen behind me and I'm on the bridge of the, uh, the enterprise that's previously mentioned, but, um, you know, we're, we're just quirky and we're a little weird and we really like numbers and we really like facts and we really like processes and fixing things. Um, and that fixing thing part really got me into clinical care. Like I was like, Oh my gosh, I can fix people. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, the idea of it, whether it's scientifically accurate or not, that's how I got into it. And my, you know, perspectives have since changed. And, it wasn't that I was bored of patient care or, or I was sick of it. It was that I was frustrated by glass ceilings. Um, and in no fault of my direct managers or anything of that nature, it really had to do with the system of, uh, of employee that healthcare has adopted over the last 50, 60, 70 years even, since the 1950s essentially. And it's followed a, a very traditional corporate America pathway. If you're um, in uh, larger box uh, offices, if you will, and, and otherwise it's a kind of a, a restaurateur style uh, owner and manager kind of does everything if you're in a traditional small business private practice or, or your pre-enterprise. And so I was part of a hospital system. And even though I had done so much in the, you know, first, she's like nine months uh, as a new grad, you know, I had shown up on TV. I had become a national speaker like overnight. Uh, I was, uh, I, there's a couple, I should bring it over here. You know, I won a, a company talent show and then they, they made me a poster boy. Literally at CSM 2013, there's this larger than life poster of me looking like an absolute 12 year old. And then me standing next to it, you can probably find it on Twitter. Just, just look for it around that time date. Um, and I, to me, that was normal because I knew nothing else, you know, and, and that's a lot of how we per, perceive life is uh, those heuristics. You, you have this understanding and you know nothing else until you experience something different, which is why it's nice to, to have a little bit of, of life experience and cognitive diversity uh, surrounding you. But having hit all of those glass ceilings and realizing the system wouldn't allow me to progress any further, um, I sought advice from our hospital CEO because I am just as clueless as I am gutsy. <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant. You know, I didn't know what it means to walk into, you know, uh, CEO's office. I don't know. I didn't know how important that is or how unimportant I might be or, or the, the, you know, anything thereof. I just was like, you know, I'm, I'm angsty at where I am. The system needs to be fixed. Rah, rah, rah. So I go in there pretty much with the idea of, of asking for promotion and being humbled on the spot with way sage wisdom saying, look, you're a doctor, Ben, you have your DPT or clinician, but you need to be more if you want to be more. It was almost too obvious. Uh, so he challenged me, um, you know, be more than a doctor within the scope of healthcare. You know, do you want to be director of rehab when you grow up? 
essentially? Or do you want to be CEO of the hospital? Because I can see you taking my chair uh, over, you know, in the course of your career. And so that blew my mind. I was like, well, I didn't think that far. So he challenged me to go consider getting an MBA. Um, and that's why I'm covered in Michigan paraphernalia as I got my uh, MBA from the University of Michigan, Go Blue. It's also where I'm from in the Midwest. So, you know, more Go, more go Blue pride right there. Uh, and, and that's kind of how I got started on this whole thing, you know. And that's as I got enrolled in the MBA program, uh, I sought uh, opportunistic promotions uh, and got promoted outside of my organization. I did very well there in corporate management. Um, but still wasn't good enough for me and wasn't good enough for them either because that particular culture uh, just wanted more. You know, I, I turned a, I think it was, it took me less than two quarters to turn around a single into the, uh, the division's most profitable program, even though it was in the uh, most expensive place to operate in Southern California compared to, you know, New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, you know, like not exactly the most, uh, not comparatively more expensive to operate than in Southern California. So despite that, again, the system, it's not my, my direct boss was fantastic uh, and, and her boss was, was great as well, but the system itself had certain standards that were uh, enforceable and needed to be enforced to run the business the way that it was um, uh, known to run that the, uh, the, the board and the C-suite and the shareholders expected. So um, despite me having a newborn at the time, uh, and I thought I did a really good job of systematizing my management, I wanted to be able to like shave a couple hours off here and there. Uh, they expected me there to be there eight plus hours, regardless of the results. So uh, instead of just taking time off, which would have broken the department, uh, you know, I decided to kind of hang tough and eventually uh, resign my post in favor of family time. And uh, that kind of launched me on my journey of where I am now. And to put a timeline to it again, when did you get your MBA then? In all of that, you, you know, you were working in as a, a new grad. When, when did the MBA come in there? So new grad 09, uh, 2010, right? Um, actually enrolled for an MBA in 2012, graduated with it in 2015, uh, which was actually the year that uh, UpDoc was formed, which probably what I'm most known for is UpDoc, um, the brand name UpDoc Media, uh, formally, uh, or former, formally, formal, formal, right? Winter formal, formally <laughs> UpDoc Incorporated. Um, and then uh, later on, um, co-founded uh, Recharge uh, Modern Health and Fitness out in uh, Howard County, Maryland. That was uh, 17, I think it was. So yeah, the years fly by. That's amazing. And just to see, you know, the timeline and the journey, like looking back, because 2009, 2010, I mean, 10 years ago, that's just, it's wild. Now we're recording yeah, this in May 2020 <laughs> during a <laughs> pandemic. And it's just, it's insane. So yeah, yeah. Um, uh, when you started um, UpDoc, what was your, what was your vision for UpDoc and um, your expectations of what you wanted it to be? I got to credit the vision to um, my co-founder, Gene Shirak abroad. Um, he's a CEO and, and is a, what I consider to be a typical CEO, a visionary, um, you know, uh, thinks very, very far ahead, uh, has ideas for what can and should be versus what, how things are. Uh, and, and I'll, I'll self-admit, you know, I have visions of my own, but, uh, my strengths are really, um, in, in the, uh, in the day to day that's in the, uh, the short-term strategics, uh, or you can even consider it to be, um, it's, it's a contradiction in terms, but like strategic tactical maneuvers in business. Um, tactics are usually seen as, as one-offs, you know, like moment by moment. Um, but uh, even in like personality surveys uh, in getting the MBA, you know, they showed me thriving in an area that's really more in the helm of like a, a COO or a CFO or a chief strategy officer um, or like an executive vice president or president role outside of the CEO or, or chairman of the board and the corporate structure. So, um, you know, really the vision was Gene's uh, creating the first uh, media, digital media company for physical therapy by physical therapists. And since then we've expanded, um, you know, the, the, uh, the co-founders um, and all the team, we really expanded that, that dream, that vision into being the, uh, the leading edge media marketing and business development firm for healthcare education and technology. So that's really what the space uh, we, we aspire to exist in now. I think what you guys have created has been, incredible. And what do you, 
kind of envision it to be in the future? I know, here we go, five-year plan again, but what do you envision it to be um, coming soon? <laughs> well, I feel like the, the, the vision, the mission remain the same. It just expands and uh, progresses, evolves with the various iterations as the marketplace and as our society evolves. Um, you know, I think on the media side, we're really well known for our industry reports, stuff like the job market pulse, the uh, industry surveys, our uh, Amazon bestseller, uh, the, the physical therapy prospectus. I think that was like an 18 publication. Uh, we recently released the, uh, the productivity survey report 2020. Um, that was really fun uh, and a little earth shaking and a little um, unnerving even some of the results and uh, just seeing like how little and how, how much some clinicians are uh, required to do. You know, like on both sides, like how do you keep it together versus how do you keep it together financially? <laughs> and, um, you know, I think in the, the future will, will remain on that path. You know, the media division of UpDoc has always been leading brand standard of, of trying to, sh to show the way true north uh, for our profession and, and for these three verticals for healthcare technology, and obviously healthcare being our roots. Uh, that's where we kind of stand. Um, I think that, uh, you know, on the marketing side, we're, we're continuing to, to be or aspire to be that, that leading edge data driven um, marketing firm uh, with the ecosystem approach, a very clinical uh, in that you don't just do one thing or you don't just do um, automation well or ads well, you have to do all of it well uh, to have a consummate result, just like you have to do all of it well as a clinician to have a consummate result for your patients. Um, and and I, if, if anything, the expansion will be on the business development side. Um, that's something that I personally have a huge passion for, uh, obviously with my formal training with the MBA. Um, I think we stand to really influence a lot of growth and, and, and positive wavelengths um, in our world, in, in not just PT, but healthcare at large. Uh, we're really seeing, especially in this pandemic, you know, now that we mentioned it, open that Pandora's box, ha uh -huh. dad jokes for days. Um, probably not too funny, it's too soon. But, you know, um, it, it's really... It's really there that I see a lot of the, the future of our company influencing positive growth. Uh, we're seeing, you know, nurses, physicians, physical therapists, respiratory therapists, OTs, SLPs, everybody kind of coming, um, you know, raising their standard and, uh, you know, and really trying to push the boundaries of what practicing a top of license looks like. And we're realizing in, in healthcare that it's not just your license and scope of practice. It's almost like you're all for understanding everyone else's thing, but you're also hyper responsible for being the best at what you do. Um, you know, it, it reminds me of like a, like a martial arts or a, even a chess alliteration. Like everybody has a favorite, um, you know, opening in chess, but you're still responsible. Like you might have favorite attacks, but you're responsible for all the defensive structures. Same with healthcare. Like, a, a really good nurse knows what everyone else does, but they're all really good at what they do because by being there, they can point the arrow to which uh, provider is the right person at the right time for that particular patient's circumstances. Um, so I really see that uh, and augmenting and, and pushing that vision um, and, and understanding and mindset culture even forward in healthcare is where UpDoc will, will see quite a bit of thrive. Um, uh, and there's a lot of potential. I mean, you can talk about it from a human capital standpoint. Uh, you can talk about it from an organizational excellence standpoint. Uh, you can talk about from a systems and management, um, uh, management systems uh, and organizational excellence. I think I already said organizational excellence. Um, and I think financing will figure itself out. I mean, right now is probably the weirdest economic times in the last literal hundred years since the Great Depressions. So I think the finances will figure itself out uh, as the will of the people um, kind of dictated to be, be right and true. Uh, but I think, you know, on UpDoc's stance, uh, what we really want to do is, is help people um, live their best, best lives in, in the success of their businesses and their careers. I love that. And how has it changed during the pandemic with everything? Like, how have you guys maybe shifted what content you're putting out or, or maybe the direction um, since everything has kind of totally changed, right? Our world is very, very different than March 1st of 2020. <laughs> Yeah, no, things are different. Um, I, I can speak to more changes at Recharge just because it, it is a brick and mortar uh, location. But we had we had been building digital systems for our, our, um, our, our members, our health members for quite some time. So it didn't shake us as badly as, as we would have uh, been you know, anxious for. On the UpDoc front, um, things have actually progressed well. Not that we saw this coming, coming miles away, but we've always came with this idea that um, 
Updoc needed to master ecosystems, um, not platforms. Uh, you can't be platform uh, dependent when it comes to um, media and marketing. You just can't. Uh, we saw this, what, back in, I think, 17, when Google decided to uh, penalize everybody's pop-ups. And all of a sudden, you know, on the patient acquisition front, you know, all the pop-up driven, uh, take your health quiz, uh, download my ebook thing, like that went away. You know, 2018, I think it was when um, Facebook dumped all of their um, metrics because they realized they were wrong, you know, and then they like flushed all these ads out because they were targeting people by demographic and identity and Facebook didn't want that. So now you had to be an expert copywriter and not just an expert keyword targeter. Um, and for some people, like Facebook all of a sudden overnight became a non thing. Like, you couldn't use it to market for new patients because all your patients were on Instagram and all those patients from Instagram actually came from Snapchat. So it, it was one of those things for UpDoc where we've always took it upon ourselves um, to be a master of, of systems and strategies over platforms and tactics uh, and, and wanted to make sure that however we were servicing our clients, um, that we would be able to pivot them on a dime if required. And we did. I mean, we, we shifted a lot of serviceable windows uh, away from, you know, social media posting and, and running digital ads for, for brick and mortar patient acquisition immediately to digital appointments and digital visits because that's where everything was. Nobody could leave home, you know, but people were still hurting at home. People still had neck aches and back aches, probably more because we're all sedentary. Uh, and, and people needed to find a way to connect um, if anything, just for mental health and emotional health, not just physical health for like fitness classes. So um, it has affected us and where we put our focus, but I usually use the metaphor of a sushi bar. Um, a, I love sushi. <laughs> so there's that. Um, but B, it's a perfect example because a sushi master will make you an, a wonderful meal, regardless of ingredient or tools, right? And that's really where you have to see business systems at is regardless of material or tools, do you still have a product? Do you still have a system? Do you still have a company? And if your company is reliant on materials and tools, then you are very, very vulnerable. Um, and so, you know, it's like, uh, what was something else that broke down recently? Um, like email marketing has recently changed since the pandemic because there's been a lot more phishing and, and spam uh, scams out there. And so uh, Google uh, Mail, one of, you know, Gmail being one of the biggest general consumer providers have really tightened down their email um, uh, filters. So, so many clinic emails are going to spam. How do you breach that? You know, do you go back to SMS or do you go to like direct platforms like F, uh, FB messaging or WhatsApp or line app? So um, a very, very long winded way of saying, uh, you know, because we've held to that sushi master model, the sushi bar model, uh, it's not about, uh, you know, do I have the right rice or fish or do I have the right knife? It's what meal do I need to create right now, next week, next month, next year. And I need to sharpen my skills surrounding that, you know, California rolls might be popular today, but maybe crunchy rolls are popular tomorrow. Do I have the skill set to craft that regardless of, again, uh, the, the materials or the tools involved? Love that analogy. And for all you sushi lovers out there, it's like, like, we're all buying oh, sushi now. We're all buying sushi. <laughs> <laughs> this is oh, not the first time this has happened on a podcast or a webinar. Like uh, I was on an Embodia webinar and same thing happened. You know, I was like, oh, we're getting sushi tonight. <laughs> yes. But yeah, no, it's, it's so true. And just, you know, as the market changes, then you have to adapt and be flexible. And like you said, there's, there's so much right now that's just, um, ever changing and we're, we still don't know where, where we're going to go from here, but it's just what we can focus on and, um, what's, you know, in our present time. But, um, yeah, that's, that's really awesome. And I know you mentioned recharge. So, mm -hmm. uh, you said that's a brick and mortar practice. And, um, so how did you get involved with recharge? Was that with, um, different, uh, owners as well or were they was there like some sort of connection there so uh we share officers and co-founders so, so gene shirakter by myself um he again is a ceo very well um, positioned to do so i took the cfo rule uh, helm um just because i was uh out here in california and, and the uh, location is in howard county maryland uh dr ryan smith um he came down to maryland uh, to take this chief operating officer helm and uh, has been doing a fantastic, just, you know, 
hands down incredible world-class job at, at building a, a true health uh, member uh, management experience out there. So uh, from the outside in, uh, when we first launched, uh, we had a CrossFit affiliation just to help with the marketing effort. Uh, we've since uh, let that go and we're just recharged now, you know, a modern health and fitness uh, membership company. And so our idea was to really uh, not necessarily fix healthcare because that requires way more pieces, uh, but, but to show by example, maybe, maybe to, to again, point the compass needle north, maybe to be a beacon or torchbearer, um, something, lighthouse. Uh, and to show what a proactive approach to healthcare could look like, you know, instead of going, oh, you're out, oh, you're sick, oh, you're coughing, oh, the tummy hurts, now we do something, is to take a track of biomarkers on a, you know, a high risk, moderate risk, low risk, or healthy index across, um, you know, multiple metrics, and, and get people from a low, or sorry, a high, I guess, go get people from low health, high risk, to high health, low risk. Um, and so we, uh, you know, we, we do share some, some uh, executive officers, uh, it's investor backed and uh, has been uh, evolving quite quickly uh, in the years of operation. Um, and it's uh, been incredible to see just because a lot of the technology has changed, the marketplace for consumers has changed. Um, there's a strong market that I hope physical therapists will take advantage of, uh, of people that don't necessarily want to receive uh, exercise or fitness instruction uh, from a personal trainer. They want it from a clinician because a clinician can, can understand both sides. You know, how do I get myself well-tuned and also <laughs> while I do it? Exactly. And I, I really like that. I love what you guys are doing over there. Um, and what does a day in a week or a week, <laughs> a week in a life of Ben Fung look like today? <laughs> oh man. Um, I mean, it can be anything. Uh, it really can. Uh, usually mornings are spent with my son. I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll make him breakfast, spend some time with him, um, you know, read with him. And then I'll attend to morning communications with clients, uh, team calls, uh, various client conference calls, uh, and then, you know, execute on, on client deliverables. Um, you know, usually, you know, in a week, something like this will happen. I'll jump on a podcast or a webinar. I'm just happy to contribute to the community. Uh, and then oh, I'll find time in the care. So uh, in 2017, I think it was, I started running, like, you know, like a middle-aged runner <laughs> and um, found that it was really fun. Like, you know, all my life, I, I liked being a sprinter and, and you know, more in the combat uh, arts uh, department of fitness. Uh, but now I'm really much a, a runner, rocker. I, uh, you know, kettlebells was part of my initial uh, clinical journey. Uh, published a thesis on it that was recognized by the American College of Sports Medicine. So it's kind of fun tie into recharge uh, back when we were still CrossFit affiliated. Um, you know, uh, and it, it became, uh, you know, it, it, it just kind of embedded parts of my uh, parts of my life in that fashion. And uh, yeah, and so that, that permeates, I'm opportunistic with that. And then, uh, you know, the day is kind of like, the day is almost never done, but you have to choose for it to be done. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll work very, very late into the evenings, other times, and most of the time now, especially since the pandemic to just take care of myself, I'll try to set some hard times of, you know, now I have to unplug, put the phone down, uh, read a book, play with cards, um, you know, or play chess online, you know, or play chess by myself because I'm a nerd like that, you know, <laughs> do something of that nature. Um, and so it's, it's, it's very sporadic and opportunistic. Uh, there's really not any set schedule. You know, sometimes uh, you know, I'll, I'll have the opportunity to, to essentially sleep in as an adult, which is fantastic. Uh, I recommend it for everybody, um, only because of the different time differences and there's certain things I can push forward in terms of work deliverables um, and I can schedule uh, team calls in that fashion. Uh, other times I'm up very, very early being on the West Coast with some East Coast clients that before office hours, their time. And so, uh, you know, if I can't coordinate it with team members that are out on the East coast, then I'll have to take those calls. And, uh, that's kind of the life I chose, you know, for the Godfather, this is the life we have chosen, or this is the business we've chosen. And, um, but as much as it sounds like I'm taxed all the time, I'm also very, very free. You know, there's plenty of times in the past where I've taken a consulting call from Disneyland, you know, or I attend to client communications, um, you know, doing something fun, you know, hiking or at the beach, walking with my family. Uh, so it's really one of those things of if you've gone down the entrepreneur startup route, if you've been in small business for a while, you know that everything's always on. Um, nothing's ever truly off. 
which is why you have to choose your on and off windows very, very intentionally. Otherwise, it's too easy to tip one way or the other. Either you get no work done or all you do is work and, and your, your life becomes kind of a mess. You know, the, the, the home front's a mess, uh, your health is a mess, uh, and then that will cause your, your company to be a mess at the same time. That's something really important to bring up because a lot of people right now, especially students, are thinking, wow, I have extra time on my hands. Maybe I could do my own thing. And then <laughs> they run into that problem and they're like, oh my God, I'm either always on uh, or you know, just feeling like you should always be on. And it's this constant like productivity guilt and feeling like there's always more to do. And it's very difficult for people to handle. It is. I mean, like... I would say some of my favorite classes, I mean, uh, the, the, the MBA was, was transformational for me, uh, mostly because I was self-admittedly the world's worst business person before getting the MBA. Like I needed it. I feel a lot of PTs don't need the MBA, but like I needed it because I didn't, I didn't know business. <laughs> I just didn't. And, um, you know, what, one of the, the courses that uh, was part of my, my, my major track, uh, they called it a, a concentration track. Uh, was an advanced business strategy uh, course on organizational excellence, uh, organizational behaviors, what it was called. And um, employee wellness and self-care was a big emphasis in that and how that affects workplace culture, how that affects uh, workforce productivity. Um, and there's a lot of cool, like mostly in the tech field examples of how like, you know, Friday is like casual Fridays. And also you can do any, just show up to the office and do anything you deem would be even remotely productive. And your whole day might be spent playing Xbox and ping pong. That's okay. Cause creative, creative things will get done. So long as you've done the, the call the business deliverables on Monday through Thursday, or however that works. So, you know, in terms of like productivity guilt and whatnot, I really think that, um, especially as licensed professionals, we tend to hold this, uh, not, uh, it's drawn from the phrase holier than thou, but it's more professional than thou. I mentioned this on the Duck Legs podcast uh, of how, you know, it's almost like we as healthcare professionals feel like we need to be unshaken by this pandemic, right? Like, like no, I'm good because I'm licensed and I'm a doctor, right? And like, no, like because you're licensed, because you're a doctor, because you're a, a nurse, because you're a frontline clinician like respiratory therapist, you're dealing with hell and beyond on earth right now. So it's absolutely okay not to be okay. And similarly, if you're locked in because um, right now your, your, your employment categorization or because you're a student, you feel like you're being unproductive, uh, it doesn't mean you're being unproductive. This is a very, very good time uh, to take care of yourself. Like I, I don't even know how I survived being a student uh, more than once. You know, like I remember in PT school, um, it's very physically unhealthy time for me just because I, I didn't have a good understanding of time efficiency. Uh, not that I wasted time. I just didn't know how to, to block it pro uh, properly. You know, like I, you would wake up, uh, you know, barely with enough, enough time to make it to school, right? Take like four shots of espresso, show up, starve, go scrounge for food at 12, practice your practicums, sit through another four hours of lecture, go starve again, scrounge for food somewhere else, right? Try to work out. And now you're sugar low and you're, you're there, you know, sitting through an you're sleeping in because everybody does come on. Like we can admit it, right? Some poor private practitioner is trying to get an emeritus or professorship at a DPT things, or they're teaching ethics or business management. You know, nobody's really there. They're not even really there. And, you know, you have this guilt, but what I would really say is you take a look at that, right? You still go home or to the library or to Denny's and you study until 11, 12 or one, you go home, you have four hours of sleep before you repeat that again. It's not a very healthy lifestyle, right? You think about that. It's just not very healthy. So I would I really encourage everybody in this pandemic, um, you know, feeling locked in and cooped up. This is a really, really good time to invest in you. Uh, you know, there's been times in my life where, uh, you know, for, for one thing or another, you know, like I've lost hair, I've developed acid reflux through stress and not enough sleep. There's also the opposite where I was physically too active, you know, and I would surf for like three or four hours at a time and be blown for the rest of the day. But I felt, you know, like spiritually fed. So really, uh, you know, not to be corny, but it's a balance. But the balance isn't necessarily what you think. It's not equal, uh, equal parts in kind. It's the right parts at the right time for what you might need. Uh, and it's very similar to a toddler's diet. You know, like watching my kid grow up. Um, when he was a toddler, there'd be days where all he ate was protein. I'm just like, oh, this is going to be a bad day tomorrow. Right? And then all he would be eating is carbs and fiber for the next three days. And it's just like, but that's how, that's how they do it. That's how their bodies are, 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 are programmed to be. And I feel like maybe that's what we need to take a look at for ourselves now is instead of having productivity guilt is look, 
because there, you might be able to work on something. Maybe you can launch your own business or your own brand right now, but is it the right time or thing for you to do? Maybe this would be a good time for you to pursue some of these personal enrichment things that you've always wanted to do. Uh, and it would be a great regret if you didn't right now. You know, like I, I'm picking up the guitar again. You know, I, I bought a, a tournament grade chess set because chess was something I've always wanted to learn. And I've always been awful at, you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, stuff like that. You know, maybe, maybe you want to get into, uh, you know, cooking. Uh, maybe you want to stay away from bread making right now. <laughs> you know, whatever the case is, this is a good time to work on you, you know, to read some books, to listen to podcasts, to, to exercise, you know, intentionally, not just because you have nothing else to do, but to work on some of these things. Um, I, I really recommend a lot of people to, to work on public speaking right now. It's a perfect time. Everybody's relegated to the Zoom thing or, or any kind of video chat. Now is a very good time to practice some of these skills. Uh, you know, I even mentioned it in the white paper uh, that we published at Doctor Digital Appointments. You know, everybody's shifting to that. It's a whole nother setting for clinicians. We were never taught in school how to engage with a patient in this medium, how to look in the camera without looking all over the other place or look, look down like, like this is the other thing, right? Clinicians always look, the, so, so how are, how's your shoulder feeling, right? They always have this like push forward look like, and all you're seeing is the top of their head uh, because it's an etiquette that we weren't taught, right? And, and we don't know how to do distance examinations or to do subjectives in this fashion because we're so used to looking at physical uh, cues of body language and stuff, you know? And now I have to pay that much more to intonations and different types of, of very like microfacial posturings that somebody might do on screen because somebody might only be in this part of the screen because they're holding things in a portrait view. So, you know, again, long-winded way of me saying, um, you know, professional production guilt, um, feeling like you should be doing something, doing something just for the sake of doing something is a great way of wasting your energy. You know, uh, there, there's so much to be said about rest. And I think this is a very good time to do it. Everybody rewind that whole part because that was just golden and 100% spot on, especially for all these students listening out, th out there. Like we've all felt that productivity guilt, but like, uh, I just totally resonated with that. And it's just putting it in a different, different light and take time to rest and invest in yourself, especially with um, personal development. Like read a book. If there's a book you've always wanted to run, you're like, I'm too busy because I have school. Then this is the time to do it now. So thank you for touching on all of those points. <laughs> and uh, we've talked about so much in this, uh, this episode thus far. But if you had to give one piece of advice for a current SPT, um, what would it be? I would say my, my, my biggest piece of advice is to have dual set goals. Um, you know, I, I struggled, I mean, struggled in undergrad. Uh, this is no secret. Um, it's out there somewhere, like multiple channels, you know, whether it's blogs, interviews, podcasts, webinars. Uh, I graduated um, as like a delayed fifth and a half year from UCSD with a 2.8 GPA. Pretty much unconsiderable for graduate school these days. Um, Thankfully, my faculty at Azusa Pacific took a bet on me. Uh, I actually ended up graduating. I'm looking at my cords right here. I graduated with honors. Um, and twice, second time with the distinction, which is another version of honors, uh, depending on your institution, with the MBA. So um, I'm not saying that to brag. What I'm saying is you have to have two parallel goals as a student. And it took me only until graduate school for me to figure out how to do that correctly. You do it this way. One, get through the now. Two, focus on the end goal. And it's very much like a runner would, like a cross-country runner. If you have to like get over a hill, that hill is going to suck. Oh, it's going to suck. Like I run around my neighborhood here and there's like a 300 foot drop down. Like it's a crazy grade run where I run. And like sometimes I think I'm actually slower running up this hill than walking. Like it's that steep. But I choose to run because I know it's a better exercise uh, for what I'm trying to, to, to do and develop physically. Um, and so certain courses, certain times, certain exam weeks are going to feel like that uphill run where you feel like I would be faster walking backwards on this thing. But you have to choose to face forward because we tend to go where we look, right? And you're kind of blind if you're walking backwards because that's really a moment of retreat um, and, and resignation. So you have to really focus on the here and now. And, and uh, it's Star Wars-y, right? It's, uh, you know, Master Qui-Gon Jinn. Focus on the here and now, Obi-Wan. And... Whatever that might be, whatever you're struggling with, like, like 
struggled a lot in, in, um, in neurophys and in peds. I remember like that took me way long. Uh, I just, I wasn't around that many kids. And so like the developmental stages made no sense to me. You know, very, very envious of all the parents that were part of my cohort because they all like, oh yeah, very perfect sets. Yeah, they're rolling it, you know, you know, five months, perfectly fine. Like they get it. Like I have one rolling now. I hate you. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, everybody's a different life phase. So, so focus on the here and now and, and what you have to do to get through it. Um, be laser focused on that. But as you lose momentum, as you lose spirit, as you lose um, motivation, which everyone does, and it's normal. I think it's very easy, especially in the, um, the Instagram influencer age to see only the highlights of somebody's life and be like, Oh my gosh, they have it so together. Like, how are they so put together? They're up at 5am working out. They're doing meditation. They're reading at night until 1am. They have 30 podcasts, hundred blogs and like 50,000 subscribers. Look at me. I have like no subscribers. I don't even have a website. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I'm worthless. Like you, you get down this, this route. And, and you have to really remember what your end goal is in those moments. And that's why I mean parallel tracks. Like I know in my runs that in the moment, that hill is going to suck. But I also know I'm going to go home and I'm going to be able to eat a fantastic meal and enjoy family time after that run. And so you have to have that, those two pieces in mind of what's my immediate destination. But we'll also, we mentioned this, this also where's my true north. So your true north for the moment is going to be graduation. What are the, 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 the do or die steps you have to take to graduate? Um, but then also looking past that, like how in this pathway, can you also keep a track of, uh, of a meaningful career path? You know, how do you develop your, your resume and your personal brand as a student? And you don't need to have a podcast or, or a YouTube channel or, or huge uh, Facebook following or, or like a humorous Twitter handle or something like that. You don't need to have the world's best PT, Tumblr, or Pinterest. Like you just have to, you have to be you and know who you are and know your value uh, and be able to put that both on paper, but also, you know, there's going to be a lot of job interviews that are going to look like this or already has been pre pandemic, you know, pre lockdown. So have all those things in mind, but if you if push comes to shove, make it over the next hill. From there, take a look around, take a breath, do some of that self-care, you know, and, and, and that's what I did in, in PT school was every single Friday, I would drive down from Los Angeles, you know, rain, you know, traffic, end of the world. I'd make it back home and I'd find myself surfing Saturday morning just because that's what I needed to do for self-care. Um, and I would spend almost all of Saturday just resting. And then I would drive back on Sunday and uh, I think I would study for two or three hours on Sunday, but then I would really pack most of my studying on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You know, so when you have that kind of certainty, certainty is the, certainty is the, uh, the great healer for anxiety. And as a student, you have so much anxiety. So if you create certain uh, certainty touch points within your week, that's going to help you tremendously. Lots of good points and rabbit holes that I want to go down, but I'm going to just ask one more question. Sure. Um, <laughs> so for all the students right now um, going through this, uh, Gabby and I are second. Well, I'm, I consider myself a second year. Gabby is officially a third year as of like last week. So fresh, <laughs> fresh third year, fresh third year. Um, what do you see as the future of PT education and how it's going to change after this? Well, I think the institutions that have the ability, again, we're talking systems, right? Like they, I think every educator knows what's wrong with the system of education. Um, I'm uh, quite the critique of the system and quite the fan. And I, I almost heroize educators um, just because I wouldn't be where I am without the educators. That said, I, I think that we're going to have to take a very honest look at the systems of education. You know, what is truly valuable and effective at, at learning? I actually just dropped the dad blog on this that I haven't actually did any social sharing on just because I was curious to see what would happen. Uh, but I essentially critique uh, the education system for being ineffective at learning because we've for so long have been obsessed with test scores, right? With, with grades and marks that we're so afraid to fail that we forget to have fun with learning. And I feel like that's a huge part of just the human condition. So I think, you know, what, what, what graduate schools, PT schools, let's be specific, are, are going to have to do is realize what is actually necessary. Of course, you have to have CAPD involved, all the regulatory bodies and all that jazz. But outside of that, how can we take some meaningful trailblazing steps on eliminating certain uh, components of, of modern learning and make them a little bit more contemporary? 
Like there are certain things that you just have to do on site, like palpations. You know, there's certain types of physical examinations you have to do on site. There's a lot of stuff that you can do at distance asynchronously. Uh, my, my entire MBA was an online executive hybrid MBA. It was completely, well, not completely, but I would say 99% asynchronous because I had classmates that I had to do collaborative projects with that were absolutely time sensitive and graded for somewhere in Italy, somewhere in Costa, you know, Costa Rica, somewhere in Michigan, somewhere in New York, somewhere in Florida. Uh, I had one in Japan. You know, so we would have to coordinate across all these uh, zones of time around the world to put together, you know, MBA level graduate projects and reports. Uh, and I felt like that was some of the most enriching times of learning I've ever had. So it, it proves to you that it's not necessarily the location or medium that matters, but it has to do with the experience of learning. And, you know, I think we've seen that progress, especially in um, child development level education, right? The, the, the primary schools have done a really good job evolving with that, with certain school things, certain levels, of, or certain student things, certain levels of stimulation uh, to really come into their own as, as a uh, quasi-professional student, because that's really what we are now as a society. So I think we're gonna see that. Uh, I think we're really gonna have to examine uh, the, um, the internships or the affiliations system. Uh, I think we really have to go into a preceptorship on certain uh, settings, just like nurses have, where you have like one or two nurse preceptors to, you know, like a small gaggle <laughs> of nursing students, you know, like eight or nine or 12 of them. Uh, because some of that stuff, like those lessons are so precious um, that it's almost a little bit unfair for you only have one CI because now uh, you robbed the other CI or, you know, many students, like so not every clinician makes a good CI, let's be honest, you know, and not every... Uh, not every good CI is the world's best clinician. So sometimes you have to watch somebody do their craft. Other times you need to learn from somebody who's great at conveying that craft. Uh, so often you see this in, um, in upper education where you have like this genius professional, right? A profession, like, like triple doctorate, right? Like PhD, uh, like, you know, a DSC, DPT, and they're like borderline genius and insane. They understand the world. Like Neo understands the matrix and code. But you ask them to convey something at that high level and they just can't do it because it's not part of their makeup, right? And it doesn't mean that um, they're bad, right? Like, it's like, like Wreck-It Ralph, it's not that they're a bad guy. They're just bad at teaching that particular piece of material in that context. So I think that the education system is really going to have to take a look at a lot of that stuff. Uh, asynchronous, at-distance, virtual learning platforms and, and systems and ways to gauge uh, how good a student really is, even from the get-go. Because you look at somebody like myself or, or, or one of my compatriots, uh, I had the second lowest GPA coming into my cohort, and a good friend of mine was the lowest. I know she doesn't mind me. You know, I won't name her, but you know, this is a story we share together. We actually graduated at the top, right? So these two, I'll call us kids, on academic probation, looking awful on paper, right? Like, how could we even admit them into a doctoring program? Um, ended up graduating at the very top echelons of the class, right? So what that really tells you is that there are things that are um, perhaps uh, insufficiently measured by traditional graded metrics in school. And I think we're going to have to really take a look at that. Uh, and I have this discussion very honestly, because there's a lot of clinicians that we find that graduate and we go like, how did you graduate? Right? Like, like I don't know that you should be taking care of patients, you know, no offense. Maybe you need to go back to school, as they say, right? And, and I think that's just part of the bell curve, right? That's uh, life. But, but at the same time, I think there's so much that you can do to curb that. Um, and there's also a lot of people that fail out in like anatomy or physiology or, um, you know, like some of the more academic courses, but they have a tr tremendous gift and makeup to be a, clearing cl a caring clinician, um, super high levels of emotional and social intelligence, uh, but they never get a chance at it. So how do we make it easier on them? Because we know that, yes, they're going to need to know the anatomy, but no, none of us are going to have to memorize the periodic table or every single pharmaceutical out there because it's going to be part of our EMR. And I just search for it. So some, some, some of those reality checks are really going to have to be taken in play. And I think it starts at the admissions board. I think it's going to start at identifying um, how and why certain um, certain students succeed and don't succeed and take a look, really careful look at the education system of what is and isn't necessary to produce that product uh, of a consummate graduate uh, and what that looks like in the field. So many good things. And I mean, online or education, it definitely, there's going to be a transformation and 
I mean, we're, we're seeing it now. We're hopefully going to see it for um, the rest of the year and beyond. So uh, that's really good insight. And thank you for, for sharing that. Um, but we know after listening to this episode, there's so many students out there who are going to be like, I need to message Ben Fung. Where do I find <laughs> where he's at? Because I have so many things that I want to talk about. So where can uh, people find you on social media? The best place to find you. So best place to find me, all my handles are at Dr. Ben Fung. So that's just D-R-B-N-F-U-N-G. Um, but most of my content you can find at updocmedia.com. So it's just updoc, like what's updoc? So U-P-D-O-C, media.com. Um, and as a student, uh, if you just look into our blog or just Google it, I think you can Google updoc media, uh, ultimate student resource collection. Um, you'll see it there. I think it was like a 2016 ish post. So it was pretty old. We've since updated it repeatedly. We kept the URL the same for SEO purposes. Um, but there's a whole collection in there of stuff for students. There's negotiation, uh, blogs, there's, you know, free this and free that, um, the job market pulse is in there, which is one of our most popular reports at UpDoc media that uh, shows you by zip code, specialty experience, um, and profession, uh, what normal pay, normal pay, Ben air quote is uh, for you in your area uh, or areas that you're looking at and settings and you know travel versus not and it's all broken down it's crazy um, there's a lot of that kind of stuff in there um, there's a lot of mindset stuff that's very important I feel to students um, a lot of uh, how to, to you know craft your resume how to interview so much of those things there so just look for it there at docmedia.com and, and search for the ultimate student resource collection and I think um, that plus all the various call to actions that let you know you can connect directly with me is there. Um, you can even text me. I put it out there. Uh, 470-BEN-FUNG is my, my mobile number. That's my business line. Uh, it goes right here. I get it. <laughs> and I will respond. People get shocked, but I will respond. Um, and, you know, Ben at updoc.com also if you want to email. Uh, but on social, it's just all about Dr. Ben Fung. And uh, don't be shy. This is Awesome. Me. Thank you so much for coming on today, Ben. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, have a great Friday and rest of your weekend. Oh, thank you. Have a good rest of the weekend, Ben. Looking for a gift for a friend, classmate, professor, co-host of a podcast, or really anyone? Physio Memes got your back with apparel, drinkware, and home decor. And if you go to physiomemes.com, you can get a 20% off coupon with the code gratitude, spelled G-R-A-D-I-T-U-D-E-2020. And don't forget to check out his social media for a good study break laugh. As always, make life humorous. Thanks for listening to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our Instagram and Facebook page linked in the description.